Welcome to Everything's Not Black and White with your hosts, Lala and Brian. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode. I know you all say, La, you say the same thing every time you start, but when you really meet somebody out in this community that you feel so immediately connected to, it makes my heart sing. I get so excited and so happy, and that is our next guest today, we met, oh, probably two years ago, I think now, and we just sat next to each other and started talking, and what an amazing conversation we had, and we just started vibing, and I've learned so much from her in a very short period of time, and she's become a new part of our family. We're so excited to have her on the show today, everyone. Please welcome Ashley Milan. Brooks to the house. Hi, everybody. Hey. So happy to be here. I love these two so much. <laughs> Welcome. Thank well, you so much. We love you. And I'm very excited uh, to have Ashley here today, particularly because in this moment in time, we are seeing a large amount of stress, pressure, and pain that's happening to Black Indigenous women of color in the workplace and in communities. And Ashley just recently graduated. Hey, hey, hey! I did, I did, with her MFA, mastered it, and got a most interesting research project that we want to talk about today, called an intersectional lens. Yes. So it's beautiful. So Ashley, before we dig into this rich resource, let people know who you are and what brought you to this place today. Yes. Well, hi, everybody. Again, so happy to be here. Thankful for this wonderful couple for sharing their space with me. My name is Ashley Milan Brooks. I am from Dayton, Ohio. Um, I have experience in the design sector, design research and community empowerment in different ways. But um I'm just a passionate person who cares about people, the planet, design equity, and making sure social connections can be had and our conversations can be deepened with each other to really understand how past discriminations show up in present day outcomes and how we can just be more cohesive and mo- more collaborative as a people. So that's what I'm a passionate about. Can you break down a little bit what design equity means? Yes. Yeah, so Equality sometimes gives the idea that everybody has to get the equal things to really get what they need to thrive. But we know because of discrimination, racism, sexism, that's not really always the case. We need everybody to have what they need to thrive. So using design and how systems are planned or they're implemented or how spaces are developed, really making sure they can accommodate all people, personality types and different things to be equitable and make sure everyone has their needs met. Yeah, I, I love this so much. Obviously, people know that I work in that uh, diverse equity inclusion space. You know, well, one of the things we talk about is when I had knee surgery um, about five years ago, I realized how a lot of buildings, sidewalks and walkways are not friendly to people who have mobility challenges. Really? And so when you think to me, when I think about equitable design, that's such a real one for me because I struggled on crutches, trying to get in and out of buildings that should have been up to code, as what people say, but they were not. And it was awful. So I I really love that we are talking about designing 
for equitable purposes. No, for sure. And this research project in this book goes into detail about public spaces. But, you know, in public spaces, we really can develop who we are. And if even we don't have a direct hand in that, we learn from people, we have conversations or we're exposed to what other people think people should have or should have access to. In, for example, sidewalks. Some people thought somebody should have space to walk and maneuver and somebody shouldn't or somebody was left out. So just really trying to Think from the perspective and lived experiences of all people and make sure that's at the forefront of public spaces, of policies, of just community organizations so people can really be served truly. Love it. So so let's talk a little bit. First of all, again, I want to celebrate you for getting your master's. And it's such a beautiful thing that, you know, any degree of effort that people put in that is that long and that intense, you know, you need your props. So I'm giving you some flowers. Oh, thank you, girl. Because I appreciate thank that. Thank you both. Yeah. So I really wanted. So why did you particularly pick this topic and talk to us a little bit about the process you went through? So the process of this for me was really trying to hone an ideal of what I could get done in the MFA time frame, but then also really give the adequate time and information to. So instead of looking at black indigenous women of color overall, I just chose to focus on black women because they are the most socially and politically marginalized. And I could actually from my lived experience and who I can get in contact with professionally, I can actually have access to black women more than other women that might give me a chance more or want to talk to me. So at the very beginning of my thesis honing, I wanted to do too much, but I had to lessen my scope to black women. And once I figured that out, I wanted to understand how public spaces and what people went through in those spaces impacted them. So outside of literary research and making sure I was, you know, doing my due diligence and looking at the historical patterns, looking at all the things that resulted, like I said, into what spaces and built environments are today, and then use that to inform what we want to see in the future. A big part of co-design is making sure that you're not only doing things from what you want, but you're taking in people into the conversation and that you're allowing the community to be a part of those decisions. So Outside of the research I did, I wanted to get to know experts of professional experience. I wanted to talk to people like Eula and make sure I was getting direct insight from people who are out there doing the work, who have experiences in the corporate sector or in other professions, and really see what I can learn from people who have lived through these things in the present day and not just who have passed away or who are inaccessible to me. So then once I'm interacting with them and then learning alongside organizations who are dedicated just like these professionals, filling the gap for marginalized populations. I wanted to make sure I talked to them and interacted with them and then talk to community stakeholders now, like black women in all kinds of social sectors to begin to reimagine what we could see in these spaces and allow them to engage in their own experiences and collectively dream together. And so that was the premise and the process of everything. And I really liked the outcomes because they just really gave a nuance, like I said, that's missing in standard practices. I, I, I so love the idea of co-design. You know, a lot of the times when I'm talking and consulting with some of my clients, I talk to them about making sure they're inviting the people to the table who are closest to whatever they're working on, whether it's a product or a service or something that affect, because the people who are at the top of the house are usually the farthest away. And they don't know what's going on. So that whole idea of co-designing is so important. Yeah. And it really, again, the co is like the collaboration, the co making sure you're not designing for, but designing with people. And um, Elizabeth Sanders, she was on my um, committee in grad school. She's an awesome person for co-design, but that's what she instills. And that's what I learned from. And clearly 
um, indigenous and black communities often have to use the community to uplift themselves and to provide the gaps that the government or other people aren't filling in for them. But she was a great lady who just white lady, still dedicated, wanting to help all people and just really saw saw something in me to just keep nurturing and help me find this out for myself. And so, again, it wasn't just me. It was the expertise of other professionals and the community and me. And like, I couldn't even have done this if I just wanted to say, this issue only matters to me. So I want to do this for me. No, this issue matters because society history says that I have some lived experience that's similar. And then we're going to figure out something together. And Wicked problems sometimes they're, they're not going to have one solution like sexism, racism, racism, all these things. But what we can do, though, is work together to have a mitigation and to use teamwork to kind of figure out something. So, yeah, I think it's a good solution for a lot of social problems today, honestly. Yeah, I would totally agree with that 100 percent. So first of all, I'm so honored that you even asked me to be a part of this project. Yes. Because it was pretty incredible just talking with you. And so I, I know just from my own experiences, and I think most people know from the many conversations we've had on this podcast, I left corporate a little over a year ago. And one of the biggest reasons why I left is because I did not have a great experience as a black woman uh, traveling through my career ladder journey, right? There is a phenomenon, I think a lot of people uh, have heard of it, called From Pet to Threat. What's that? And that is very, very, well, let me tell you, it's very, you know, prevalent for people of color, especially black women. So the idea around pet to threat is when you first get into an organization and there's so much swell and joy and excitement about you being there and people are so hopeful for what you're able to contribute. So then you come in and you start contributing they start to feel threatened because they liked that you could do things, but now they don't like that you do things better than them. Right, exactly. And so now that you're doing those things, they want to sabotage and hurt you and hold you back from growing. And that was something that I experienced in every single corporate environment that I was in. And it got to a point where I'm like, I'm just not going to do this anymore. Yeah. And a lot of people, their insights were saying a lot of negative experiences also in corporate spaces or in spaces when they were one of the few black people or women and just feeling like from the um, the language barriers to like the cultural norms to how people how body language is in certain spaces people just learn to not feel comfortable or to put their needs second and unfortunately I'm interacting with women but women all too often are taught to put their needs second or to completely adapt and adjust to other people's expectations so um, unfortunately this happens a lot in the corporate sector I don't think that you should have to have corporate success which takes into the othering or like code switching. I don't think that you should have to participate in code switching and to completely switch up how you're appearing to yourself or bringing yourself into a space to feel like that's what success is. And I don't want to have success that depends on code switching or depends on making myself fit norms that are exclusive and outdated and that don't embrace half the population. Like we're talking about half the population. It's not even like women are 10%, which still would need to you know things would need to be equitable but half the population is neglected because people just want to have different norms and i'm not okay with that so i'm all for breaking that playing field and doing something different yeah now now if either one of you ladies could explain what code switching is because i'm sure not everybody in in our audience understands that term or even heard of that term so if one of y'all or both of you could explain what that means sure yeah i'll go no yeah code switching can be summed up as 
um, depending on the area that you're in or the environment you're in, changing up how you would regularly talk or how you would um, appear or approach things. So maybe your hair is different. Maybe you wear different clothing. Maybe you just talk different and don't say certain words because you know you're going to have to over explain them. You're one of the few black people or the few women. So people are going to have too many questions and people are going to make you uncomfortable or how you present yourself is now the topic of discussion instead of the job, instead of the task. Now it's you when you're being pinpointed out all because you're trying to exist for who you are. And so code switching is just adapting to other people's expectations to fit in and to survive. And it's not okay. Yeah. And that's exactly right. To survive, not thrive. Exactly. And that's something, you know, even at, at 50 years old, I I think I'm finally in my right skin now that I can just be exactly who I am to anybody and everybody. And I don't feel like I have to code switch anymore. I'm just who I am. And that took a long time for me to actually feel comfortable enough to do that. Yeah. And like a lot of people, yourself included, but who participated in this, they felt the same way. It takes them years. Like I dealt with all people who are 18 plus women, 18 plus and all women who are 18 plus years old had an experience with having to adjust or adapt themselves to fit in or still troubling or, you know, grappling with that different idea of what it means to fit in well into their adulthood. So, so many years of people's life are wasted just trying to yeah. sort through or unlearn what people have taught us about what could be or what inclusivity looks like or like how can you tell somebody what inclusivity is for them and you don't ask them so it's just so many years of really going in a cyclical pattern that really doesn't lead anywhere and I just again want to be a part of the change and so I think even processes with, with my thesis was like I said not leaning on your understanding but allowing people the space to comfortably discover who they are and then learn more and then dream is really empowering so The process I was also trying to go through was welcoming people who they are, allowing myself to accept them and them to explain who they are and how they came to be. And then giving that same autonomy to dream, which is a lot of things. Some a lot of other places don't do that. A lot of places don't give them that autonomy and that power. And I think we're seeing the results of that in our social settings and interactions. Yeah. People don't feel free. They don't feel liberated. Yeah. Liberation is such a big deal. You know, we talk about that in our business, like we're, we're liberators for all people. And and I mean all people, because I think there's so much, especially in the corporate setting, that feels almost prison-like, right? Yeah. It feels, you know, I, I always, I and I say it good, better, and different, that the corporate world and capitalism is the modern day slavery. And I feel like people are stuck in it and they don't know how to get out of it. And people are saying, oh, I know it is painful, but it's good for you. Yeah. And even like in with black women specifically, the power dynamics of having the competition and having limited roles for black women or limited tolerance for people, period, and the regular experiences. But if it's a black woman not being um, validated, not being listened to or not giving opportunities because maybe like you were saying in your interview, one woman didn't do good in this position. So we can never take that risk again. But we see people take risk all the time with white men who mess up, who don't play by the rules, who kind of really do stuff that's not good for the organization, but we can continue giving them chances. So again, just always posing the perspective, what does it look like when we give chances to more people more often? What do those chances look like? And how can that be personified in different ways when we actually care beyond what we are told, like beyond what we're supposed to care about? Yeah. Well, you know, it's such an excellent point you bring up about um, failure. And feeling like you can't fail. And and I was actually at a panel um, earlier this month and we talked about how black women, women in general, but black women specifically are not allowed to fail. And we cannot, especially can't fail publicly. 
Like it's really hard. And I, I remember when Brian was working um, in his old job and he was going after a supervisor's role, the person whose role who was in there before him who didn't do well was another white man. And I actually asked him one day, I said, do you ever worry that the white man in front of you failed that you would not get a, a chance? And he was like, no, it's, it's not even something that he would even think about. And it's something I always think about. And that's unfortunate. And it goes to the conditioning of just you can't be human. You can't make mistakes, have to be perfect. And I talk about this as well. Like it feeds into the um, superhuman stereotype that black women have to be like if you're too angry, it's not good. But you're supposed to be too strong and too resilient and nothing else can break you. And if it breaks you, you're nothing. But you have to take everything to be something. It's just very contradictory. doesn't make any sense. And it shows, like I said, and the lack of cohesion, the lack of diversity and the lack of definition of what it means to be diverse. And even this was meant to push like the diversity, equity and inclusion and belonging talk further because it's like it's not deep enough. The roots are not deep enough. A lot of times people want to ignore the root causes or just not address how things started and how deep they go. And we're not getting anywhere if we don't understand that and how deep this just permeates everything about the future and even visualizing what can be and what we want our generations to have. I just think it's very connected and we should think about these connections and these conversations. Yeah. And I, I love, you know, our, in your earlier statement talking about giving people space to dream and For sure. it is it is something that's so huge. You know, I think, you know, I remember being a kid and somebody asked me a long time ago, if you could go do time travel, where would you go back into time? And I said, I wouldn't go back. I go forward Listen. because I'm not happy with anything that it resembled black life in the past, even when it was good. Like I would say like the Harlem Renaissance loved it. But it was still Harlem in the 20s and it was still America in the 20s. I mean, let's talk about it. Right. So I said, I want to go to the future. But then part of me is like, how far in the future do I actually have to go till I find more equity and inclusion? Because I would think it could be 2023, but it's not. Yeah. And I feel like how different does the future have to be for us to realistically envision all people having the equity they need? And like my fears are it's nowhere close because unfortunately, People like me, like, clearly I've had to learn lessons through going through them. Even if my mom told me something, I had to go through something for myself. Sure. Too many people have to literally see something, be proven something, and then be reproven something just to get it when they should be able just to learn from an experience and learn from people. And, like, you shouldn't have to know, like, black people or women or whatever to realize they're humans. Right. So I think sometimes we have an issue with humanity, too, because it's like, why do you have to be proven everything just to care? Or like, why do people have to be literally suffering or like dying or all these things for you to be like, wait, hold on. Maybe we should reevaluate something and yeah. it's not OK. And black people, I said this in the book, are not collateral damage on the way to success. They're not people that just, oh, it doesn't matter what happens. No, it matters. And those are whole bloodlines, their lives, and they impact every single sector of our society. And um, yeah, I just want to create better environments and better spaces where we don't trivialize certain experiences and honor others and disregard certain people because yeah. women too often happen to be those people. And I refuse yeah. as a woman, as a black woman, period, to just succumb to the situations of the past or limited minding people, limited thinking people. Yeah. I love that. That is spot on. 
So I know, you know, outside of your research project, which is absolutely stunning, and I want everybody to read it, you've also participated in some co-design sessions here in Columbus, Ohio. So please, can you tell us a little bit more about those? Of course. So I'm a member of Zora's House, which is a co-working um, space and leadership incubator in Columbus. Elsie Johnson is a C- Elsie Johnson is the CEO and founder, amazing woman. Yes. But um, in March and October of 2003, she hosted her Women of Color Equity Design Institute co-design sessions, working with different funders to kind of make their visions of equality and equity and all these things come to life and making sure we're in a we're interacting with and engaging stakeholders, black women in communities in Columbus of all professions now with making sure they're getting paid for their compensation, making sure there's food, making sure they have access to childcare, but really looking at different organizational issues like creating safe spaces for teens or making sure women have more of a voice or that what does it mean when we're designing with women of color? If women of color design things, what does that look like? What is what is different when we have a different foundation of how we start our processes? So it was a very enlightening experience just because being in the room with 20 to 40 plus women of different creeds and experiences just collaborating together and making sure we're just working with one another and allowing each other to tell the rules that, of how we want to be treated, create our own norms, um, have conversations with head people and companies that we might not ever have conversations with. It's just really inspiring. And so it just taught me a lot about facilitating and reassure different things that I'm good at where I can grow and how I can just deepen my personal growth. So I love LC, honestly. She's awesome. She is wonderful. Very cool CEO, very down to earth. Also, Mickey Ferreira, her friend as well, colleague, very cool lady. So there were great experiences. I learned a lot and I met a lot of cool people. And like Zora's house has a tribe list. So we share different opportunities. We talk about how we can help each other, how we can put each other onto different stuff. So I just thought it was a great opportunity. It is a beautiful opportunity. And I have been a member of Zora's house for quite some time and a donor and, and a huge fan of LC's myself, who is a powerhouse in yeah, this community. amazing. Just, just trailblazer. Amazing. Absolutely. And and I what I love the most and what you said earlier is about the true collaboration. Right. Yeah. I when you when you go to Zora's and, and for the audience who may never get there, um, Zora's is like when you go there, it's like old home week. It you is like it. you feel as soon as you walk through the door, you feel the love and the camaraderie and the sisterhood and everybody's high fiving you and everybody's hugging you and everybody loves to see you. And they're like, girl, you wearing that hair, girl, you wearing that dress. OK, gold pants. I okay, see you. Yes. I mean, you know, it is such a vibe and it is such it an really incredible is. place. And I think it's really important for people to have spaces like that where they feel seen and they feel heard and yeah. they feel valued and that they belong. Not that they fit in, that they belong just as they are. And it's a beautiful thing. And it was made for them in mind. And like what was revealed with this research that is similar to Zora's House to the Women of Color Equity Design Institute sessions was everybody was thought about beforehand and you felt it, how they were communicated with, how the event space was designed, what things we had access to, all the different things were thought about. What do women of color need? And then we're going to start from that baseline and build up, not just do something that we want. And then, oh, well, hold on, we forgot this. And then add it last minute. So it feels rushed. No, it's just the feeling and the sensations and the music and the vibes and the artwork and everything screams black women or women of color. And that's why it feels different because we're completely just reevaluating every single thing about how we engage with the space or what it means to serve people, what it means to allow them to have more of an impact in a process versus just be a last minute thought. Yeah. And so 
it's just really important to me. We deserve more time and more effort. Like people do in general. Black women deserve more effort. And I unfortunately am a black woman who was doing this and advocating for our needs, but I'm happy to be doing it. And I need more people to do the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. It's not just a black woman's problem. We need y'all to step up and see us. And because when black women are good, everybody gets better. It's Listen. a fact. Argue with your mama. Really? That's I agree. I, uh, yeah, <laughs> you show better. <laughs> listen, listen. So, Ashley, like, what's next for you? So, you know, you got this work out there and you want to get it out there. Like, what, what are you hopeful for the future? Yes. Yeah, so, clearly, I graduated recently. So, I'm hopeful to get my life more consistent, <laughs> get some money, and be able to invest in my own dreams. But with this book specifically and different things, I want to go to different conferences, go to different places where they're talking about equity or women specific issues or just social issues that are important right now. I want to spread this. I want to have workshops or sessions or just grow the conversation and really get people to think differently about, I went through this. I never thought that had a tie to actually how I came out or like this happened when I was a kid, but who knows that that would have impacted all my decision-making or yeah, I was black, but I had no idea this impacted this until maybe somebody told me later and I realized it. So getting people to think differently and expand their mind and think about experiences holistically, like what do you want to hear? What do you want to smell? How are your senses engaged when you're interacting with something or how are they not? Like, how do you feel like a space welcomes your growth or your flaws and still treats you like you're equal? Like we can get poetic and deep with this, but people just don't. And mm-hmm. I don't I think that we should. I think that things should be just as intentional and sensual and caring. And I think that we have time and capacity for that. And I call to action this in the book to just call policymakers, designers, citizens just to care more, to be more intentional, to be more loving, to connect the dots of our lived experiences and just work together to make a better life in better natural and built environments because it's a possibility. I love it. I love it. You're such a powerful voice in this space. And I'm so grateful and proud to know you and to learn from you. This is always, I always tell people I have a reciprocal mentoring relationship with people that as much as I can give and teach you from myself, I'm learning and growing from you as well. And so I'm very grateful for you and just all of your knowledge and wisdom here. So thank you so much for this. I appreciate that. But again, you're awesome. Inspiration. Definitely just a black woman who practices what she preaches, willing to invest in people, put people on the opportunities and just a great family unit, very inspiring people. So happy to be just sharing space with you all, honestly. Well, no, seriously. You. Thank you so much. So for people who want to kind of get connected to you and even find out more about your research, how can they do that? Yes, of course. So my name is Ashley Milan Brooks and you can find me on Facebook, Instagram and my site at A-S-H-L-E-Y Milan, M-I-L-A-N Brooks, B-R-O-O-K-S dot com c-o-m and then you can find out all about me my book my dreams my past and kind of see some pictures about me just a kind of all in one of who i am and what i'm doing you can find on my site so search me please talk about me give me a job (laughs) all these different things yes (laughs) love it and i can vouch for you ashley is an amazing leader and worker and community activist and is very driven in so many ways so you want to definitely follow and get to know her 
100 percent. and i want to have a conversation with y'all so it's reciprocal so brian how can people get in touch with us sure they can uh, follow us on facebook or if you want to reach out to us you can email us at embwpodcast at gmail.com that is right and that is all we have for you all today thank you so much to ashley thank you so much to all of you for listening please like subscribe and share get to know us see y'all soon bye y'all be safe bye